Greg Grunberg, uh, Snap Wexley from Heroes, and Commander Finnegan of Yorktown from a uh, little thing called Star Trek. And you are kneeling before the pod. Kneel Before Blog presents... Kneel Before Pod. Hello, and happy Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you all. There's no better way to celebrate than talking about the first chronological outing in the Star Wars franchise in all its glory. Thanks to Greg Grunberg for endorsing this podcast using his Star Wars character name, but saying that it's his hero's character. So, I've assembled my own little Rebel Alliance to talk about the iconic first entry in the Star Wars franchise. Uh, First up is Angus. Hello. And Natalie. Hello. Hi. He didn't say it. He didn't say it. He didn't say it. Say it. Say it. Okay. Uh, What did Angus say? You'll never find out. Okay. What did Um, he say? Secrets. Yeah. So, Star Wars. We're back talking about Star Wars again for the... 14th time. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's only the second time, maybe? Well, no, the the fourth time, but I wasn't in one of them. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, uh, we're going way back to the beginning in production order, not in chronological order, because there is no beginning chronologically at the moment. Um, How not? Because they keep going back and back and back, so eventually we'll just... Well, how's it going back and back and back? Well, you've got uh, Star Wars Rebels, which is before this. You've got stuff that's set. Yeah, but that's not really a Star Wars, though. It's canon. Yeah, but it's not really Star Wars. <laughs> um, well, that's something we'll come back to later. <laughs> okay, which they never seen it. Okay, so this is the first film that was produced, written, and directed by George Lucas himself. The man who would run this own, his own franchise into the ground, weirdly. Creatively, anyway. <laughs> uh, he gets such a harsh rap. Deservedly so. <laughs> that is brutal. Although, he does deserve some recognition because he came up with this. And he's the reason that we're here tonight. So, thank you, George, if you're listening. For what sounds like nothing. <laughs> right, um... Angus, what's your connection to this film in particular? You know, um, what are your fondest memories and anecdotes about it? <laughs> um, well, as we discussed on previous podcasts, and if you do want to go back and listen to those, feel absolutely free. Uh, it's it's one of these films that feels like it's been there, been part of my life the whole the whole time. I can't think of a time without Star Wars. It was. It, um, on TV at Christmas, uh, friends playing games, watching the films over and over again. Uh, it's just always been there, and it's very difficult to even think of a time when it wasn't just part of... didn't surround us and bind us. <laughs> <laughs> but not the other thing. <laughs> yeah, not the other thing. <laughs> um, and so this one, I don't know, it's funny because now it's really difficult to think of it kind of as standalone or to even imagine what it would have been like to see this without knowing what happens afterwards and what comes before and taking apart all of the stuff to do with the prequels and spin-offs and extended universe um, but I think it's, it's fun to go back and watch it and kind of 
try and put yourself in that situation and just see it as a bit of a standalone because at the time it was, you know, it was just this um, pretty simple story. But it wasn't a standalone. Well, it has, it a, it has a conclusion and, you know, they didn't know at the time whether or not it was going to be a hit. So it's kind of fun to think about the reception and obviously what it's gone on to spin off into. I literally never watch into. it and think about, oh, what would Discipline like is the only one. <laughs> I never think that. I always think, oh, do you remember when he gets his hand off? <laughs> How can you not think about it, though? Because this is where it all began. It is where it all began, but I don't just think, oh, wow, imagine this was the only film in the whole Star Wars that come out. I think it's cool that people like would have gone to see it, blah, 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 but I don't imagine myself as thinking of this being like the only one. I, don't, I think it's impossible to think about it as being the only one. You don't think about all the crazy, mad flipping lightsaber duels we've seen that spawned from this where people basically just kind of stand and swing poles at each other. That's not what you're talking about. You're saying that you like to imagine what this was like back when this first came out as the only Star Wars movie. Yeah, when everything was... I don't think about that at all. When everything was still a big mystery and people were kind of making up their own ideas about what it was to be a Jedi and who all these different characters were and all these aliens that you just kind of see... And yet now it's been like explored almost to death, and so there's a there's an answer to every question almost. Well, yeah. Except who shoots first? <laughs> there's an answer I to that it was as well. Answered. <laughs> well, the answer keeps changing. We'll and um, and what else? Rogue One. That that was made for answers. Well, that changes the beginning of this movie. I mean, if you watch Rogue One and then kind of run it into the beginning of this film. It changes the way you see that Probably as well. Should have had these on at the same time watching them. I was I was going to uh, I was going to start this podcast by pretending that this was like a sequel to last year's smash hit Rogue One, but I decided not to. <laughs> it's not really a sequel. Do they not run like concurrently? Well, that's the essentially the joke. Uh, Rogue One is set right, immediately huh. before this, so you know there was posters online. It was like Rogue One gets a sequel, and it was just the poster but for this film. Be, but it's called Rogue Two. But it can't be set before it. Because there's but it overlap. Is. <laughs> but the ve- almost the there's very no final <laughs> shot of Rogue One leads right into the very beginning of this. No, it's not. Did they blow up the Death Star in this? Yes. So if they blow up the Death Star in this, Rogue One ends with the blown up of the Death Star. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. <laughs> they blow up. No, they don't. Do they not? No. no. What did they blow up? <laughs> The Death Star blows up a facility that's on a planet. No, in Rogue One, yes. they don't blow up. They don't blow up the Death Star. No, no, they what escape with they... plans that are. The... What do they blow up in Rogue One? Uh, not the Death Star. A what, shield generator. What, what gets blown up when they're the planet on it? that that had the base that held the plans for the Death Alderaan. Star? Alderaan. No, Alderaan. <laughs> that's this. Scatter. Yeah, but they run together, right? No. So it could have been Alderaan. No. <laughs> it would have made sense if it had been Alderaan, considering that it had no base on it. It genuinely would not have made sense at all. Yeah, it would have. <laughs> so what do they blow up? I don't think they even blow up the planet. They just give it a localised shot to blow up the base and stop the rebel spies from stealing the Death Star plans. So wait, what? I wish I hadn't mentioned the Rogue One sequel now. We're following so wait, wait, a so in Rogue One, 
they don't blow up the Death Star. No. No, the Death Star just shoots a lot of things. I still stick with my original argument that they run concurrently. Is that the right word? Together? At the same time? Simultaneously? Except they don't. Well, I feel like there's definitely overlap, though. <laughs> there's no overlap at all. Right, well, I'm going to have to go back and watch this and figure it out because I'm confused. <laughs> yes, moving swiftly on. Okay, so, uh, so Natalie, you never think of this film as being a standalone experience. You think of it as being a piece of a larger whole. Well, I think it's kind of, like, weird for Gus to say that he can't imagine a time in his life without Star Wars and knowing the story and blah, blah, blah. And then says that he imagines what it was like as the only one. Well, that's why I like to go back. And, that's why I like to go back and try and imagine what it would be like when this is the only thing you've got to go from. Why well, would I don't know? I think because the stories are all linked together, and because we weren't alive when the first ones came out, then whenever we've watched the first couple of episodes, it's never been that that's where the story ends it's always been that you can just find out what happens next and everyone always knows like everyone's everyone's everyone always knows <laughs> where's that can't speak tonight sorry hot hot yeah <laughs> <laughs> like everyone knows the story and so whenever you're watching it you're always you're, I don't know I think it's hard to be enjoying what's on the screen without thinking about um the cantina band being cool and um, and now bad lip reading like I can't remove them from this movie this might be only the second time that I'm watching this episode with um, having seen the bad lip reading songs <laughs> and um, and I just can't it's kind of I don't want to say it's ruined because it's definitely not ruined things for me I definitely enjoy them more now but it's definitely not what was intended but what you're saying is you see all those things and they all tie into this or it all affects the way you're seeing it which is kind of what I said but I also say that I like to try and imagine what it was like to see this before all of that it's, it's almost yeah, impossible you can try to imagine that but it's not going to work I try and react to it without thinking about everything else that That's stupid. goes with it why? Why is it stupid? Because I think it's impossible to do unless you were alive, and or unless you were young. Wouldn't you like to imagine life, what it was like? Watching, you're only watching this episode until next year, and then we'll let you watch the next one. What because about, it's not what happened. What you'd get a box set and you'd watch them all. Very first time a Shakespeare play was performed, and you can kind of imagine what that did to the audience, or the very first Charles Dickens book to be published, or something. You know, it's interesting to try and think about these things before. Everything else, everything else kind of came after. How can you... Okay, what... What Shakespeare is bro- broken down into six episodes? Well, you know, he wrote that story about the farm boy that goes on to become a space <laughs> wizard. Space wizard, eh? Um, no, Angus, I agree with you. I think... Uh, I think it's interesting to think about it in the context of the time, you know, when it first came out, uh, how people might have reacted to it. It's it's a really great um, thing uh, that, that actually came out because nothing had been seen like it up until that point. I mean, I know it's based on things like Buck Rogers and, and whatever else and Flash Gordon, things like that, the old movie serials, which is the reason for the crawl. Um, but the, the idea of this kind of... Uh, this 
film that no one had heard about coming into cinemas and it opens with this massive shot of you know a, a star destroyer chasing down that ship and exchanging laser fire it's big it's loud it's really impressive it's just um i can't imagine how audiences would have seen that at the time i mean everybody talks about they're being being blown away because they don't know what's coming but to kind of try and put yourself in that position is quite an interesting thing to do yeah, it's interesting to try and do it, but what I mean is... Oh, if it's you're interesting about... when Craig says it. <laughs> no, because you didn't let me finish. It's interesting <laughs> to say that, and it's interesting to try to think about that. But I think what I took from Gus there is that he's trying to think about the story ending as it does at the end of this episode. And I think that if you've seen the other ones and you've seen them all so many times... It's impossible to do that. It's impossible to just think of that as being an ending. It's not because you immediately want to be like, all right, well, we know what happens next, but stick it on anyway and we'll have it on in the background. Although the major difference with this one that uh, doesn't happen with any of the other ones is, or at least in this trilogy, is that it ends... Uh, it has a definitive ending in itself. You know, it's a beginning, middle and end. You know, the, the, the whole purpose is destroying the Death Star, which they do, and then they celebrate it and then the film ends. Whereas... Empire Strikes Back ends on quite a bittersweet note where there's still stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Although, um, in this film, there's an awful lot that's not resolved. Like, if you looked at a modern film uh, coming out you know, just now, basically, where you have something brought up about a, a character's father, and by the end of the film, you don't know the answer to it, and you don't there, there's no plans for a sequel or anything. It's just like, um, what's this? Like, uh, But this was brought up earlier. Why was this brought up? You know, It's, it's not resolved at all. So it's, it's weird that um, audiences of the time would forgive it, and obviously we know that the answer comes later. But well, how? But I don't get that though. Like it's called Episode Four. Like not originally it wasn't. So what was it called originally? Just, just Star, Star Wars. Wars. Star yeah. Wars. Episode Four was added a bit later on. I think it was when it came out in video or something. It was it was added on. Well, that's confusing. It is oh. quite confusing. It is because then you'd be like, I don't know if you know it as I do, as episode four, then I'm like, how could you be so stupid to not think that something's going to come after that or before it? Well, if you look at it based on George Lucas's inspiration, uh, he was inspired by, as I said, things like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon, and they would be little serials that would play in front, front of other films, and they would start with a crawl telling you what the character had been up to, yeah. and then it would tell a complete story that would end with, and, you know, it wouldn't really necessarily feed into other stuff well you got a sense that those characters had history and that's exactly what happens here you know you're you're thrown right into the middle of something and you see a bunch of characters react to it and then it ends you know and most of the character arcs are kind of resolved by the end of it as well hmm. most of them yeah but again if you if you're watching it without the knowledge about Darth Vader being Luke's father spoiler and Leia being his sister, spoiler. It's quite interesting to watch it and and you know, and observe, dying. observe all those yeah. interactions and things, and just even thinking that Lucas might not even have have planned out those beats. You know, just watching it from that point of view. Obviously, now when we watch it, you're oh so familiar God. with you're so familiar with everything to do with it that yeah, you know, it's all obvious and how he's getting kissed by his sister and his all this kind of stuff. His name is Lucas but... and the main character is called Luke. Correct. Oh my god. <laughs> There's actually, um, there was actually a comic released a year or two ago that called The Star Wars that was based on Lucas's original script for this and it's so different. It's quite an interesting read actually. Just for, you know, what could have been. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, it's pretty much nothing like this, though. It's very, very different. And I'm not so sure So who it made him change it, then? Uh, he changed it on his own, I think. It was just... Um, as he was working on it, he realised that his script wasn't working and made significant changes as he was going. So then he thought, oh, I know, I'll make more money and release it as a comic. Uh, I'm not sure it was George Lucas that, that planned to release it as a comic. I'm, I can't remember what the, the rationale was. I think just someone got a hold of the script and decided to, and got permission to release it. But um, Interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting little aside, but... Um, interesting. Well, the thing about this film is it's actually successful because they had so many difficulties making it as well. There were so many problems, you know, filming in Tunisia was a nightmare for all their prosthetics and for all their electronics and stuff. And uh, um, if you look at the prequels, which, you know, we won't talk about too much, they're completely sanitised. They're all in a studio. There's nothing that can go wrong. It's just, you know, and it's dull as a result. Yeah. Um, But also that planet gets blown up, right? So... No. Oh. <laughs> not in this, not in Rogue One. I'm going to have to get re and everything. <laughs> like, I feel like I know it, but then I don't. <laughs> you know the bad lip-reading versions more. <laughs> yeah, that's because I've actually watched them about a thousand times each. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with this franchise, well, it's not a franchise according to this film as yet, but... Um, what do you think makes it so special, and why do you think it just became the 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 multi billion dollar Disney property that it is today? Um, number one, Harrison Ford. Number yep. two, Hamill being like this cute little innocent cute guy. Number three, it's got robots in it. <laughs> number four, magic and lightsabers. Those are all reasons that it's successful. Yeah, I think mm. uh, I think it's got a nice simple story that's easy to follow. You kind it's of a tack journey, on, isn't it? Yeah, you tack, tack on tack on a load of sort of sci-fi bits here and there, um, and obviously you get some great um, acting from Harrison Ford, kind of uh, standout performance. Oh, I forgot Chewie number. Five. Oh, that's going to have to get reshuffled because Chewie's obviously higher than number five. <laughs> Um, it, could, it could just be on a no particular order type list. Yeah. <laughs> it is no particular order. Uh, yeah, so I mean, you've got those elements. And I actually think the soundtrack is a really big... Oh, I um, forgot that. A John part Williams. of its success yeah. as well. Damn it. John Williams' soundtrack. I was actually going to say, like, I was watching this earlier, and I didn't start it at the beginning. I just sort of jumped in about... I don't know, 40 minutes in or something which I actually suggest people do because we're so used to seeing the opening part when we put it on and watching and paying attention to like the first 20 minutes before we started doing other stuff but I think people should start it at different points in the movie and just focus on like that scene whatever's on but or, or watch it minute by minute maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no that's too too segmented but um, and I was watching it and I was like, whoa, this movie might actually be crap without the music. <laughs> right. Because I was watching it and the only thing that really like grabs me is how awesome the music is. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's used to powerful effect on several occasions. You've got the the bit where all Luke is doing is kind of looking at the the setting suns, and he's imagining what could be staring at the French horns. Yeah, it's just and, so good. And the music like... there, it just it gives you the exact the the feeling of wonder. That is one of my favorite bits. In fact, that might retrospectively be my favorite scene. Yeah, and it's even when um when you know Family Guy parodied it by uh, <laughs> you know Chris Griffin looking at the twin sons, and then he he introduces John Williams in the London Symphony Orchestra yeah. to play. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's so that's like, what that scene is. You know, John Williams is the star of that scene. Yeah, he's the star of um, he's the star of the movies. Like he really is. Like actually, I can't believe. Or zero. It's like it's the horizon. It's the ultimate thing of Star Wars is the music. Yeah, definitely. Um, all seven canon and story films have had John Williams scoring it, so I don't know if he's going to do eight and nine. I hope so. Mm-hmm. He, I think, I think once they lose him, right? Because how old is he right now? Well, he's in his eighties, I think. Oh my god. Like, I kind of, yeah, like, he is, he is the force. He is the force. He is. Yeah, the, the music is a big I, part of it, yeah. I, I think, think as soon as that's gone, like, it's not going to be, they'll have to, they'll have to look to doing something else because he is Star Wars. Well, if they get through episode nine, then all the spin-off films can be scored by other people because they're not main Star Wars stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Rogue One is scored by Michael Giacchino, who's he's really good as well. But I think that's maybe why Rogue One sat weirdly with me because the music isn't Star Warsy. Well, it didn't have the sort of theme, did it? And then it didn't capture you. Like we spoke a bit about yeah, it on the other mentioned it on the other podcast. Because th- I think that's why The Call Force back. Awakens like felt like such a good movie because it had that that nostalgic bit fresh music and Rogue One it was sort of absent from it and couldn't evoke a similar feeling yeah um, we'll, we'll see how the kind of music of Star Wars evolves as time goes on uh, I really like the I really think the appeal of this this film is the is the spectacle you know there's a lot of really cool imagery in there you know from mm-hmm. from Darth Vader being you know dressed all in black with his little red lenses that, that's really cool it's really enigmatic um there's lots of action the characters are kind of um they're they're thinly drawn but you get a sense of who they are anyway you know mm-hmm. they all have kind of defined personalities and i think at the time and even to this day it blows people away just by how how huge it all is and you know, people well, keep saying space. people keep saying the universe feels lived in, and I think that's a big part of it as well. You know, the all the machines are dirty, um, things are, there's wires everywhere on some things, and there's a good contrast between the sort of the rustic rebel stuff and the the really ornate clean empire stuff, and it mm. it it kind of paints the picture really well, and you get the sense that these people are struggling, living in something that's that's real and keeps moving and. Yeah, and it's it, again, it's something that it lost um, when the prequels happened, where everything was all pristine and yeah. Star Wars but is that was never because about it that? was before the like main fighting and stuff started. Yeah, not everything should have been pristine, though. Well, I don't know. I feel like in the in the in episodes one to three, they're definitely like dealing 
with like really heavily political drawing room type stuff that would have things like that, would have places that look like that. The Senate. Yeah, like they don't really they don't really go out to like their aunts and uncles' houses out, <laughs> you know in the desert. So I mean, like, of course it's going to look all pristine because that's what those places would look like. I think so many things from this particular episode seem iconic now. And again, it's difficult to kind of put that in in perspective because they've all become iconic through the years and through uh, being used in so many other things. But yeah, I'd agree that the design of so many different things from the ships to the Death Star to even like the interiors and stuff that when I, when we were watching it this time around again, I was kind of remarking on how the sort of chasms and stuff in the Death Star look and that, you know, it's also, it's also, um, you know, Star Wars. And yeah. I think that that's what made the Force Awakens feel, and also Rogue One feel like they were more part of the universe than the prequels did because they kind of captured that aesthetic as well and I think that as I say the things in this all seem all seem iconic now but when I mean for a reason when you go back and you see all of these different designs and just and the the droids as well I mean they were it's, it's easy to forget that the two droids are like a massive part of the story in this one and are on screen for so much of the time they've obviously kind of become background players in the story as it goes on but you know like well, they're, they're kind of two of the main characters in this one mm-hmm. well they're the first characters you meet which is mm-hmm. which is weird when you think about it yeah. you don't meet your main character until about 15 minutes in you know Luke Skywalker doesn't appear until um, you've had the big action set piece and uh, George Lucas always said you were seeing the franchise through the eyes of the droid which is it works in some cases I think it certainly works for this trilogy you know, they're, they're always kind of there for the big events, mm-hmm. or at least one of them is. Yeah, and I think that they kind of, as time went on, they they kind of shoehorned them in too much. It was it works really well here, but and then, they, as you say, they have to be there to kind of chime in and comment on what's going on. But I feel like it kind of diminishes and, and as, as time goes on. But is that just because you get used to them being there, or because... I don't know, I just think it worked well in this and it gets overused a bit. Is that because it's the first time that you're seeing them and the first time that you're seeing a character is like that? Well, yeah, I mean, they play a kind of integral part in this, but then I think that once once they were the characters that had appeared in every film, they they had to then find a way to continue that on, you know? Like, they've, they're the two that show up in absolutely everything. How come there's not, like, a cartoon... Maybe there is, Craig, and you'll know it, but how come there's not, like, a little The Adventures of... Like the droids oh, cartoon is. or something. <laughs> there is. With just the two of them. Well, mainly. Going off on little adventures. Yeah. Oh There's God, entire episodes of Clone Wars that focus on. Yeah, like not R2 Clone Wars. I mean, like the adventures of. There is. There is. There was an old the cartoon. Droid really? tales. Yeah. Droid tales. <laughs> and there was an Ewoks cartoon. Yeah, even though I love Ewoks, that's not what we're talking about, really, no. and they're not in this movie. <laughs> that, that's a different podcast. Yeah. Yes. Three years from now. Two years from now. Three and years. hopefully someone pays us for this because I'm so tired from work. <laughs> so if anyone wants to pay me to, to do this. Well, there we go. That's a, that's a petition if I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought yeah. another design point I like. The Empire, the Imperial officers in their sort of Nazi-esque uniforms. I mean, that was pretty... Um, Risky 
60 years ago. Well, iconic as well. Just it, it really tells you who these guys are, the baddies. Yeah, but they used it in like the Force Awakens stuff a yeah. lot. We talked about it. We talked about the whole links to to Nazis and stuff. Because they because they use that a lot. I wonder where they got it from. Oh yeah, this film. <laughs> no, I meant like the world. <laughs> yeah, you can you can immediately tell who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. You know the the hallway that the first fight takes place in is very white. Uh, you know, which is the kind of classic good guys are wear white kind of thing. Um, and oh, then, I was thinking like clinical or something. Yeah, although then the stormtroopers show up and they're wearing white, which is a bit strange. But then Darth Vader turns up and you think, yeah, this guy's this guy means business, even though he does very little in this film. I was gonna say like that guy is. I was watching it and I'd forgotten that um, John they're like threatening Leia and they're like, tell us where the like. Where the base is, blah blah, blah we'll like kill your entire planet. Um, it, that's not even Darth Vader. That's like some other punk. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, whoa, because you, because I don't know. In my head, I thought that, that scene was like conducted by Darth Vader, and it's totally not. He's not even in it at all. Well, yeah, it's easy to forget that in this film he had to answer to Tarkin, and he's basically is like attack dog. No, oh, I totally forget as well, and it actually makes me upset that the body of Darth Vader and the voice of Darth Vader are two different people. Yeah, it's not the first or last time that'll happen. <laughs> no, but it just, I don't know, it upsets me. I think he ends up being played by about six different people through the course of the two trilogies really? he appears in. Yeah, yeah, including six. by Hayden Christensen at one point. Oh yeah, but that's okay, like, but I just mean like when he's like fully suited. And booted. And booted, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, um, the the thing is, they managed to find a really tall guy to play him, but unfortunately, he didn't quite sound menacing enough. So uh, they had to find someone who did sound menacing. And is this so singing in the rain? Enter, enter Mufasa. Enter James Earl Jones, who does sound um, intimidating, although not really in this film. There's something a bit off about the way the voice is. He's got like a voice, of, like yeah. alter alternator. Like they use them in horror movies. Could they not just use one here? It's like the. Um the suit and the voice and everything haven't quite been tweaked to their ultimate sort of terrifying uh, point. He just needs a system upgrade, that's all. <laughs> well, the, the definitive Darth Vader is in the next film, of course. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, um, but he's he's no slouch here. You know, you can tell he kind of means business. And I quite like how you're introduced to him and he's strangling people, trying to get plans out of them and... Um, he's clearly in charge of the situation. You know, he's he's tracked these people down. He's uh, not believing a word they say. So he's you know he's smart. And then you get to the point where, uh, by the time you've you've realised that okay, this guy means business, and then you find out he has a boss, which immediately tells you that his boss must mean business. And then Peter Cushing managed to manages to carry that kind of level of authority. You know, you can believe that Vader sort of respects him, or will at least. He's got no choice to, to go against him because he knows he's not, or he well, doesn't believe in himself enough. Maybe this should actually be about Darth Vader because it's about a man who <laughs> never believes he's good enough or is powerful <laughs> enough, you know. Well, it could be argued that the the story of Star Wars is the rise and fall of Darth Vader. Aww, the man who never thought he was enough. Aww. Well, he was a slave. He's like a slave to the wage, and he's actually like a representative of like people in business. 
It's just working for that Imperial bonus. Well, has anybody seen Chad Vader on YouTube? Seen what? Chad Vader. He's like a night shift manager in a supermarket. He, he is a slave to the wage. It's very funny. <laughs> well, it sounds exactly like... <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Darth Vader uh, is quite interesting. And you don't learn anything about him in this film. I mean, you learn that he's... He was once a pupil of uh, of Obi Wan Kenobi, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't. Um, so again, if this film came out now, can you imagine the criticism that would be lobbied against it by the time it finished? Uh, you know, it's like you don't find out anything about this kid's father. You don't find out who this Darth Vader guy is. You don't find out anything about anyone. It's just kind of they play their part in the story and then they leave, and that's all they do. Yeah, and I think that the, uh, like you said before, the characters are quite simply uh penciled out you know um and maybe that's that's all part of it as well you've got this baddie who is just a baddie for the sake of being a baddie and a pretty good uh example of one as well yeah yeah you look at luke skywalker and you think this guy's the the reluctant hero i mean he's he's kind of whiny and annoying for very much of this film and he doesn't seem to care that his aunt and uncle get incinerated (laughs) Which is a bit strange. Yep. He's just yep. like, oh well, I don't have to stay here now, so let's go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, Buys into a hokey space religion that <laughs> he's only just heard about. Yeah, he's a com- convert really quickly. <laughs> well, you know, Obi Wan is that convincing. Yep. Remember, the force, uh, the, the force is effective against the weak-minded. <laughs> well, there's an interesting angle in the story. Luke Skywalker was brainwashed this whole time. Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah, he totally. Well, wait a minute. Wait, is that because you're talking about that whole thing of like rebels taking on this like boy and? He basically accepts Obi Wan's personality test. Made him look like a terrorist. <laughs> yeah, there's what that was too. That? There was like a thing that I watched. That he goes around like blowing up government property. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's there's that whole thing. I mean, I think people have done analysis on you know what the the destruction of the Death Star would have, would have done to the imperial economy because <laughs> they were the legitimate government at the time, and it's yes. like um, let's not get into that. That's that's mental. But uh, I, I like that other people do it because it means I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can just read along to it and be like, yes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you're making certain assumptions about. These and things, but, yeah. I imagine almost every angle will have been considered by someone somewhere at some point. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, I like I like Luke Skywalker, but I think I like what he becomes more than what he is in this film mm-hmm. because he's he's quite. I mean, he's quite ineffectual. You know, he obviously he he manages to lose a droid and then he almost gets killed and then uh, he decides to go along with this this old man who's uh, who's asking him to to leave his home with him and uh, and so on. And by the end of the film, he kind of proves himself by uh, manning up and and piloting the the x-wing to victory but up until that point he complains a lot he does well it's because he's a little whiny brat (laughs) but yeah i agree he kind of develops into more of an interesting character but yeah this is very kind of uh whiny farm boy i feel bad for him feel bad for him that and i feel about i feel bad for the whole family like so Darth Vader's like on on the Death Star and he's gonna kill Princess Leia. But it's like he doesn't even acknowledge her as like his daughter. Isn't that so sad? 
And he doesn't he doesn't realise it. How does he not realise it when he realises that Luke is his son? How can he not steal anything from her? And how come she doesn't have anything to do with the Force? How come it's only Luke that gets chosen? How come it's nothing to do with Leia? Well, later on it's suggested that, that Leia has Force powers because she can... Well, yeah, because she, yeah. she knows that like she's related or something to him. And in time she'll... Something, something... Something yeah. dark side. In time, she'll do absolutely nothing uh, <laughs> other than other than sense people dying or yeah. uh, or able to talk to people through without communication equipment over long distances. Well, I still feel like that's not fair. Well, I mean, by the time this film starts, um, I imagine George Lucas didn't have the idea of uh, Leia and Luke being sisters. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had the really really creepy romantic subplot between them. You wouldn't, because yeah. I feel like that's the sort of weird thing that Lucas would do. I don't know, I think in this, it seemed like a good idea to have a love triangle, and then when he decided that they were going to be siblings, he was like, oh no. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. just sweep that under the rug. Yeah, you don't yeah. think he did it intentionally? America's like that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, but it's interesting even in this film, you know, obviously you've got... Uh, Luke's trying to impress Leia by being like just agreeing with her on everything, and you know she's a she does nothing but criticize Han Solo, and he's like, yeah, I think we should listen to her. And but if you look at the kind of the way the actors bounce off each other, Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford have way better chemistry than Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's more interesting to watch them bounce off each other than it is those other two. So uh, it, even in this one, there's a kind of suggestion as oh, these characters, they you know they shout at each other, but they kind of like each other. There's something there, you know. She likes the bad boys. Yeah, she likes a scoundrel. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, as a stand-in for all the kids watching, obviously he's the young character who's kind of going on his journey. You know, I think it he works. He could be you. Yeah. He, exactly. Works quite well. He's quite a sort of... You can project yourself onto him. Yeah. And then you've got... Um, he has so many other established characters around him, like Han Solo, when you meet him you can tell he's been around the block a few times he knows mm-hmm. how things work he's survived on the, the seat of his pants the whole time, you know, the first time is the first time you meet him, he owes money to people who want to kill him if he doesn't pay up, which doesn't seem like a good way to get your money back but um, that's that's another story uh, but when you first meet Han Solo he's, you know, he's kind of just keeping ahead of people, he's not he doesn't have it all together, but he's kind of He's, he's able to survive because, you know, again, the universe is lived in and he lives in it. Yeah, he's got a backstory that's kind of implied and you, you can accept that he is this guy that's kind of been swindling and uh, getting by, smuggling away. He is a pirate. Well, essentially... And brought brilliantly to life, I think, by Harrison Ford, who there's so many sort of character nuances as well that he just throws in there that, you know, I think for, for children watching it, you know, they might not appreciate the the brilliance of his performance. But when you walk, when you go back and watch it and just kind of look at even all the small things he does, all the kind of throwaway ad-libs and things, so much of it is, is brilliant. Well, I mean, there's the infamous debate about him talking about the Kessel Run, uh, how he manages to, to do it in uh, 12 parsecs, mm-hmm. which, you know, obvious nerds, tend to know that, that Parsec is a unit of distance, not of time. But uh, apparently it's in the original script that he's supposed to be kind of noising them up, you know, testing how desperate they are and so on. And if you look at uh, if you look at Obi-Wan's face when he says that, it's kind of a, a really kind of look he gets. Uh-huh. So um, 
it's yeah, it's even like that. You know, it's. Uh, I think Harrison Ford has a kind of knowing glance as well because he's. Um, it, it's supposed to be the fact that he's lying to them, and obviously, mm-hmm. uh, other material has unfortunately confirmed that he does somehow manage to make a route shorter. And you know, it's it's less interesting. I hate knowing the answer sometimes. <laughs> At the very least, Force Awakens confirms that he did do it in twelve yeah. parsecs, you yeah. know, <laughs> which is a shame. You know, I'd rather just leave that. But it's it's supposed to be him testing how how much he can manipulate these people. And yeah, uh, and it's quite nice to to think of him as kind of a chancer who'll just you know get by on his wits and uh, say the right thing at the right time to make as much money as he can. Yeah, and. Um, I love his relationship with Chewie as well. You know, Chewie doesn't get subtitled, but you can sort of fill in the blanks as to what he's saying because mm-hmm. the way Han responds is as if he almost responds with the uh, with half of what Chewie has said, so you can kind of fill in the rest of it. But mm-hmm. um, and it's the same with R two D two. You know, there's enough people respond. Well, C three PO kind of answers his question by repeating the question almost, but you can usually tell that R two is swearing at someone. And again, they're both kind of cute, lovable characters that would have um, appealed to children immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, although Chewie is quite vicious. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, again, watching it again, you kind of, you know, you think of the Wookiees, statue, you know, statuesque, tall, furry. Uh, keeps You keep hearing about how he rips people's arms out of their sockets and things. But so much of the time, he's kind of looking out for Han and... Uh, he seems quite gentle as well, a bit of a gentle giant at times. Everyone seems to get their arms all cut off because, like, when they're in the bar, um, and that like really weird guy starts picking on Luke, he totally gets his life like sabered. His life. His life sabered. Off. <laughs> his life. <laughs> <laughs> he gets his arms sabered off, and there's just yeah. like this hairy wool form on the ground. Also, nobody um, nobody bats an eyelid, which tells you everything you need to know about Mos Eisley Spaceport. Yeah. Yeah, but also, why is there a werewolf there? And <laughs> why do why do they cut to that one second scene of like that really creepy, creepy guy? I think it's because they were just using all the different costumes that were available to them at the time, and they kind of had all these monster movie ones that they're like, well, okay, if they're just going to be on screen for a couple of seconds, we'll have a werewolf, a Dracula. Uh, is there a Dracula? Yeah, I think there is one in the back there. <laughs> Actually, that creepy guy could totally be a Dracula. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a great little setting. I mean, that one scene you see so many little different things. And but is uh, it because of the music? Because I think it's because of the music. And the music. And how rude is Luke? Like to get the barman's attention, who's already had to give him a warning for bringing in <laughs> droids. Not like he grabs on him. Oh my god. Luke's never been in a bar before, you know? Doesn't matter, that's not how you get anyone's attention, no matter if you've been in a bar or what. He doesn't uh, he doesn't know the protocol, you know, he he had to leave his protocol droid outside so he could get told that you shouldn't. Yeah, but you still if you're anywhere though. Country bumpkin. But is that honestly how you'd get somebody's attention? I think it's great because it's that little thing that shows just how naive and dumb (laughs) he is as a character. You know, that he 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 thinks that that's the best way to to ask, so I guess <laughs> it's kind of cute. Well, it just but it's shows really up the, the the sort of difference in experience between him and Han. Yeah, he yeah. he kind of stumbles in there and does all the wrong things, whereas Han can handle himself. And uh, but he's also like he's been around the block. Years older. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's hilarious. It looks like then. seventeen or something in this. 
Uh, the character's supposed to be about, yeah, 17, something like that. 17, 17 18. 17. Yeah. I think Mark Hamill himself was, was about that age. Carrie Fisher was 19, I think, when she did this. So young. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love the cantina scene because it, it gives you that sense of scope. You know, all those characters, they must have a story. <laughs> yeah. Figuring Dan in the modal notes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the... there's clearly history to all the characters I mean you never find out what it is and you don't even speak to half of them but then you know other than the wanted men who have the death penalty on five (laughs) systems or twelve systems (laughs) Um, but I don't know if you've seen the robot's chicken sketch it's absolutely hilarious where uh, they they decide to pick a fight with them you know they decide to act like they're tough and then uh, it turns out the guy is uh, is an architect and Obi-Wan's cut off his drawing arm Oh. <laughs> and, and now that I've seen that sketch, I can't look at that scene without thinking about that. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's weird, like what what pop culture does to like alter how you view this movie. Yeah, but there's there's all sorts of little moments like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the um, there's the guys on the Death Star who just want a railing as a yeah. Family Guy bring up. You know, yep. but there's no railings on the Death Star, so people are just kind of falling to their oh, death. Oh yeah. Don't go, don't uh, don't drink too much at the Christmas night out on the Death Star, because you might stumble into a chasm somewhere. <laughs> I also, if you're going to talk about movies and stuff like other ones, expanding the universe. Go on. I want to see the Cantina Band like gig in or something. I want to see like a Spinal Tap sort of movie with them. I think Max, that would be brilliant. Is that going to be a spin-off? Why is get that Ma- not get being, Max Rebo involved as well. Why is that no, not being no, done no, yet? Because we can go around and like see them at like their different places. And but isn't that a Family Guy joke as well? Where they, song. where yeah, they just play the same tune over and over again. They say they're taking requests, but then yeah. <laughs> like same song. Okay, let's play the same song. Same song, same song. <laughs> There's also the robot chicken one where they're trying to get a breakfast cereal jingle. Uh, together and it's just that music with uh, with words put to it and it doesn't get expected. <laughs> oh, so well, much. I think it'd be brilliant if it was like in the mode of Spinal Tap and it was just the same song. I think that'd actually make it better. That's all they do. The their one hit wonders across the universe. Yeah, yeah. over and over and over again. That'd be fun. What, what would you call that movie? Son of a Beth. Spinal Tap, a Star Wars story. Yeah, so um, we've mentioned Obi-Wan quite a bit. Uh, what do we think of Obi-Wan as a character, you know, as we see him in this film? I mean, we know that he's a pretty much a compulsive liar as as time goes on, but based on this film, <laughs> he's your wise old wizard character. You know, he's like, he's almost a trope. In he's a, a compulsive liar. Old Ben. Yes, yes he is. With the how, worst... come all, how come all the uncles in movies are called Ben? He's not an uncle. <laughs> He's like an uncle. Though. Well, in some theories, he is an uncle. But uh. <laughs> yeah. oh my god, I just like spoilers alert. Well, if um, Anakin considered him a, considered him a brother, then you know. Well, yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. Again, I don't know. If it, based on everything else that kind of that comes with this, all the stories that lead into it, you have to <laughs> you have to take what he tells Luke with a large wheelbarrow full of salt because he doesn't really tell him the truth yeah yeah like when he's like did he kill my father and the thing is he doesn't actually say no or yes until like the very end of his week I don't know I am but yeah I think he's kind of your 
standard m- mentor type, you know, takes Luke under his wing, uh, shows him the ways of being a apprentice Jedi, and uh, I think he, you know, he does what he's supposed to do. He provides a, he provides Luke with the the reason to kind of go on and fight against the Empire because he sees his uh, sees his mentor get struck down, and even though uh, when they're when Darth Vader and Obi Wan are having that fight and Vader says to him, "The last time I saw you, <laughs> he's like, no, oh, no, last time you were you were kind of fizzling up in a lake of lava, you know. <laughs> doesn't really he doesn't really remember it the same way that uh, he no. should. But uh, again, that's just all been rewritten. Yeah, well, I mean, this film has that kind of problem with the trilogy that it's in as well. You know, you've got the it doesn't kind of stack up to what comes later in some ways. You know, there's all sorts of Half truths and stuff that kind of get brushed away, but but Obi Wan's an interesting character, and uh, it's most interesting that it's because Alec Guinness is playing him. You know what you've got is you've got an actor who's essentially he's essentially too good for this role and too good for this kind of schlocky sci-fi film. Uh, he kind of elevates the some of the dialogue he has is pretty ropey. But he elevates a lot of it. You know he even if uh, he thought it was rubbish and he mm-hmm. clearly did, he um, he took it seriously because that's his job. He's you know. He's a thespian. He he's going to deliver it properly. So what you've got is this kind of this this hokey stuff being delivered with this this hint of class because that's just who Alec Guinness was. But he he hilariously and quite famously hates Star Wars, you know. <laughs> and and throughout his life, whenever people would talk to him about Star Wars, he'd just get more and more annoyed about it. And uh, but it made him a ton of money. So you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely bring, brings gravitas to the role. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, you have to laugh at the fact that he decides to hide his identity from whoever's <laughs> chasing him by, you know, changing one part of his name. Yeah. <laughs> and when Luke challenges him on it, he's like, do you know Obi-Wan Kenobi? He's like, well, of course I know him. He's me. And <laughs> it's like, well... I haven't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> yeah. A long time. I is think sh- my kicking's awesome. Uh, he claims to be the property of an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Is he a relative of yours? Do you know who he's talking about? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. A long time. I think my uncle knows him. He said he was dead. Oh, he's not dead. Not yet. You know him? Well, of course I know him. He's me. I haven't gone by the name of He's like a strange old hermit, apparently. Yeah. Crazy old wizard. He's just but been he's... hurt too many times in the past. <laughs> but he has, some, he has some, you know, there's some, there's kind of a cheekiness about him that, that comes through quite often that I quite like. You know, the bit where uh, the, the stormtrooper asks how long he's had, the, how long they've had the droids, and he chimes in with, they're up for sale if you want them. Just, you know. <laughs> Just uh, chancing it as well. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's why that's why he likes Han because he's like a, a fellow chancer. Yeah, it, it, there's all sorts of little little moments like that where, where Obi Wan will say something that's just quite, uh, you know, it's almost quite cheeky, and that, that's the the part that Ewan McGregor was really good at capturing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, he's a bit he's a bit of a jokester, you know, and uh, obviously he's quite serious as well. He takes his Jediness extremely seriously and. Um, and all that stuff, but 
Yeah, he's a great character, and it's a shame you only really get some of him in this film. You know, mm-hmm. you get you get some ghostly apparitions later on, but his his role in this film is quite significant. And for mm-hmm. a long time, a, a long, long time, time, he was he was what he was the only thing we had to go on for what a Jedi was. You know, he yeah. he, he was kind of the embodiment of a Jedi Knight, and so uh, he kind of, I suppose, quite a lot gets extrapolated from how Obi-Wan behaves in this, but uh, it's, you know, it's quite cool that he's the, he's the first, he's your introduction into these kind of saber-wielding, robe-wearing space wizards. Well, I mean, you have to wonder if in uh, the original, the original conception of this film, whether Obi-Wan's outfit is a Jedi outfit, or whether he's just wearing robes because he's on a, you know, a sun-drenched sand planet. Yeah. You know, um... He's basically wearing a big Jawa costume. Yeah, but obviously in, when you get to Return of the Jedi and you see um, Anakin's Force Ghost, he's wearing a similar sort of get-up. But, mm-hmm. uh, and then the prequels, you know, it becomes a standard wear for a Jedi. But I wonder if it's... Um, I wonder if originally it was supposed to be kind of... It was more of a disguise than his uniform. Yeah, or it was just... No, yeah. I think it's to do with like looking like almost like a monk or that sort of... Yeah. Evoking that sort of... Um, it definitely works like that as well. Like... Yeah. Like order of religion type stuff. Yeah, he's this hooded figure, you know, there's a bit of mystery Yeah, so I don't, I don't think yeah. it's because he happens to be like in a sandy, deserty place. I think it's definitely like a conscious decision to to have them looking like that so that people associate sort of nice with one feelings and stuff like that. Tough to tell. I don't think yeah. it's tough to tell. I think it's definitely a conscious decision. Could well have just gone back and retroactively kind of written in that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, I do I do like them as, as kind of monastic robes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Monastic, that's the word. <laughs> Jelly that's fantastic. a good word. Yeah, and uh, I, I love how um, Obi-Wan and Han bounce off each other where Obi-Wan's like, yeah, the Force, and, and Han's like, ah, the Force is a load of rubbish, and uh, simple tricks and nonsense, and uh, looks like no way it's real. It is. <laughs> you heard about it like half an hour ago. <laughs> but um, yeah, Han's very much a doesn't Han he's a make practical that joke? guy. Um, no, he doesn't. It's Peter Griffin that makes that joke <laughs> in, in Family Guy. He says, you know, oh that thing you heard about like twenty minutes ago, and you're <laughs> judging me for for not knowing. Okay, it. okay. <laughs> but it's also interesting in that scene that you know Han is telling Luke, you know, all he needs is a good blaster, and it it kind of gives you. The it, it tells you that even if the Force and the Jedi are this thing that should be revered as this kind of heroic order, enough people, or at least the people that we've seen so far, don't know about them or aren't concerned with it or you know don't believe in it. That at this stage in the story, um, you know it's it's kind of fallen into disrepair or it's fallen out of favor, and you know it's. I think that's quite cool as well that there is this kind of strange kind of mystical force and yet not everyone believes in it and you know yes that ancient religion yeah yeah from, exactly that, that, that went away about 30 years ago yeah that nobody, <laughs> that nobody remembers that, there being hundreds of, of them that's the equivalent of me not believing that the Beatles existed you know <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been that long but no. well obviously in this film you don't know how long it's been since the Jedi were a thing you know Obi-Wan could be hundreds of years old for all we know. He's an old wizard, who knows? You know. Um George Lucas might have been trying to sort of evoke Gandalf type 
uh, comparisons by having him there. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? But um, yeah, Vader and Obi Wan are, in, at least in this film, the only Jedi type or the only Force users left. Yeah, that we see. Um, we have the Emperor mentioned, but we don't know anything about him other than the fact he was mentioned. So Vader is, you know, Vader's clearly a bad guy, and he betrayed and murdered Luke's father, and uh, there was some kind of conflict between them at some point, and that's all you really know about that that relationship and that connection. Yeah, it just makes it seem like more of a strange and special power as well, that, you know, it's not something that every second character you come into contact with knows about or can use. Yeah. You see it sparingly as well. I mean, you you learn little bits here and there. You know, um, Obi Wan teaches Luke a bit by, you know, uh, sh- getting him shot at by a very small um, target thing. Counts as uh, midichlorians. <laughs> Let's not go there. But, you know, <laughs> well, maybe he does. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Off screen. But, <laughs> but he makes him like blindly deflect blaster fire. You know, and hope he doesn't cut one of his limbs off by accident. <laughs> Giving him an extremely dangerous weapon. <laughs> the lightsaber was on stun. It was in training mode. <laughs> I think it is established in expanded universe that it does have a like a, oh, really? a non-lethal mode. But I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. Um. So there's yeah. So there's that. You learn a bit about it. And when he does the mind trick on the stormtroopers, you know it's the uh, you know these aren't the droids you're looking for. You know the infamous uh, scene. Um. You know, you learn. Oh wow, this this magic actually does work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's all sorts of little hints here. You don't learn much about it, but there's enough to be like, there is some merit to this. And obviously, Obi Wan, his body disappears when he gets hit by the lightsaber. You know, that's mysterious enough as well. Mm-hmm. Pretty mysterious. And as people have commented after the fact, there is no underwear in his robes when <laughs> Vader's kicking them. <laughs> Uh, I love when he just gives it, gives them a wee stamp just to see what happened. <laughs> Is he under here? Nope. <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's funny. But uh, and then you have the disembodied voice later on, and then obviously Luke uses the Force to take out the Death Star. So there's it's definitely established as something that you should be um, you should be paying attention to, even if you don't see the full extent of it in this one film mm-hmm. so yeah the force big deal kind of a big deal kind of a big deal yeah because it's uh, the ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the force but you still destroy a planet yeah so yeah mm-hmm. um, obviously the characters are almost nothing with its story and we mentioned I think Angus you mentioned earlier it's quite a simple story you know it's a uh, I suppose it's a almost take the castle kind of story, you know, the, uh, where Luke is going in there to save the princess and uh, and overthrow the the king, so to speak. Really, he doesn't really overthrow anyone; they just blow up the the Death Star with all hands on board. Therefore, cementing that Luke is a mass murderer in one film. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah. Do you think it's interesting that they have a princess character in it, where you could they could have you know written into it. Um, any kind of sci-fi, uh, you know, order doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a monarchy or anything. And I suppose we find out later that it doesn't work in exactly the same way as we might think of a princess. But you know, it's very clearly a save the princess type movie. So you know, you've got a, you've got your hero, you've got your. But we know it's always bigger than that. We know that she's just a small part of it. Yeah, but you've yeah. got your she's easily identifiable focus, princess. 
who yeah, might, she's the objective. Isn't your, yeah, isn't your typical damsel in distress, which is good as well. Yeah. But you know, you've got a, you've got this um, character who needs saving and is identified as a princess. Sorry, Luke, but your princess is on another Death Star. <sighs> Not quite, but yeah. If <laughs> <laughs> Leia's quite an interesting... Well, I say everybody's an interesting character, but in this, uh, Carrie Fisher's acting is hilariously ropey. She has that British accent yeah. that drops in and out, you know, when, when she appears. And uh, she's obviously quite quite ballsy, you know. Yeah. She's able to hold her own in a fight. Um, I've never paid attention to her accent. Oh, you should. That first scene where she talks to Tarkin is hilarious. Governor Tarkin, I should have expected to find you holding Vader's leash. I recognised your foul stench when I was brought on board. Charming to the last. You don't know how hard I found it signing the order to terminate your life. I'm surprised you had the courage to take the responsibility yourself. Princess Lear, before your execution, I would like you to be my guest at a ceremony that will make this battle station operational. She's putting on her... uh, Her royal accent. Her royal accent, yes. For diplomatic duties. Yeah. And obviously, we know that she's rich, or she was. On Alderaan, she was probably rich, but, you know, it ain't there no more. Yeah, it's all gone. <laughs> it was all held offshore. <laughs> yeah, she has a, a Swiss bank account somewhere. <laughs> Space Swiss. <laughs> yeah, well, they, she does manage to pay Han, but, you know, let's... Eventually. Um, but, yeah, she's... But she's also quite entitled, I think. You know, she's kind of like, she wants to be in charge of everyone. She keeps berating Han for being the guy that's come to rescue her. And, you know, it's almost like she wanted a b- uh, better equipped rescuers. Yeah. She's a great character with yeah. great hair, iconic buns. Mm-hmm. The cinnamon bun hair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and her hairstyles only become. More of a subject of, of chatter as the films go on. <laughs> cool. Yeah. What else? <laughs> yeah, so... And the story works pretty well. I think it... I like that it takes its time to sort of let you live in the universe it lives in. You know, the, the Wanderer and the Death Star, it takes a while. It's the bulk of the film, but it's... Uh, it really doesn't say much for the competence of the Imperials of these... F- you know, if these guys can just wander around sort of relatively unnoticed. Yeah, and it's kind of their their they get kind of tractor beamed on to this really ominous battle station, and yeah, as you say, manage to kind of uh, hoodwink a couple of stormtroopers, and then all they have to do is you, know, you can just stroll around, take a prisoner, transfer, uh, and and then eventually get away fairly easily as well. <laughs> <laughs> Even though yeah. there's supposed to be legions and legions of troops, although there is some competence happening there, you know where uh, where Han tries to defuse the situation by talking to the guy over <laughs> the the comms, and the guy's just not having it. He's like, "Who is this? What's your operating number?" It's, it's uh, that is one of the most parodied moments as well. In fact, I've been yeah. playing Mass Effect on Andro- Andromeda, and I recently got to a point where uh, where that scene is exactly recreated. You know, after all this time. But again, yeah, because again, it's another one of Harrison Ford's sort of character moments where he just kind of takes over and is himself and his own charisma just shines through. Yeah. Well, he famously said about the dialogue in this, uh, you can write this, but you can't say it. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, some of the dialogue he has is pretty hokey. I think the dialogue's hokey in general, but 
Um, and there's definitely quite a few times, or you know, plenty of times throughout it, you can you can see Lucas's directions on screen of just faster, more intense. I mean, the way that the cat the characters talk to each other, they're yeah. basically <laughs> talking over each other and just <laughs> rattling off the dialogue, which maybe they needed to in order to get it out. But um, it you know. As much as you can see it happening on screen, and if you're aware of that being Lucas's style, it does actually work quite a lot of the yeah. time. You know, the the sort of it conveys the intensity of a lot of what's going on. Well, there's a range of experience among the cast as well. You know, you've got uh, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher who just have no idea what they're doing. You know, because they're they're inexperienced actors, and they're playing off people like Alec Guinness and Peter Cushing, who are, you know, they're kind of. Uh, elder statesman of acting and uh, it's this it, it lends a bit of legitimacy to it but you've also got the kind of the, the younger characters do seem more um, more childish by comparison which does fit with the dialogue you get mm-hmm. although I do wonder who threw away a monster into the trash compactor um, <laughs> what is that <laughs> thing and so how did it true. get there all Dianogas live so in true. trash compactors <laughs> that's just that's just the uh, indicative of their species. Did someone win one at the the Death Star Carnival and just you know flush it down the toilet? Oh, and then... <laughs> they didn't have a plastic bag big enough to take it home. That's <laughs> well, like maybe if Dianogas they they may look small and cute, but they grow up. <laughs> <laughs> They're for life, not just for Christmas. That's it. Yeah, it just it's it's one of those weird things. It's it's a cool sequence again. It's one of those iconic things, you know, but. Uh, it's weird that there's a monster inside this battle station's trash. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, it is it is a cool sequence, and it is kind of I suppose it's like it, you know the traps in Indiana Jones and that sort of thing that would obviously come later on. But yeah. and they're all again from those sorts of serials, and you know it, all you have to do is stick it into a, a sci-fi setting, and it works works really well. Yeah, the walls are that, closing in on them. I love that when the walls are closing in on them, and you know. Obviously, you've got R2 and C-3PO trying to turn off the, the trash compactor. And when it turns off, they're all cheering and they're all like really, really happy. And, and 3PO thinks they're, that's the sound of them being crushed. Yeah, it's <laughs> so feels, cute. Yeah. Yeah, and then he has to be like, no, we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> what? Them. They're dying, R2. Curse my metal body. I wasn't fast enough. It's all my fault. My poor master. We're all right. <laughs> and yeah, and again, it's one of those things where someone probably should have noticed that there's all those people in there. What? You mean the people who hate them? Yeah, the, the the Empire should have... Someone should have been looking, especially since they knew there was a firefight just Yeah, nearby. but if they were going to get crushed to death, then they'd probably be okay with that. Yeah, maybe, but I don't know. The Empire aren't seen as the the, the most competent here. Maybe it's just the, the Death Star personnel aren't, aren't all that switched on. Hmm. Wacky. Yeah. Or they've but, all been blasted. Do you know I mean? They've probably all been shot. They've killed every single member of the... <laughs> well, when they go into that room, which is like that control room, like they blast everyone when they're pretending that Chewie's handcuffed. They like totally blast everyone. So there's probably no one left that has access to anything that would show that they're there. Well, there's... Yeah. The two of them. There's a guy in the other control room who's talking to Han, you know. Well, I don't know. <laughs> 
It's nitpicking. You know, I, I do enjoy a good nitpick. Okay. Yeah. Um, and obviously the, the Death Star part of the story ends and then, you know, you've got to get the Death Star dealt with because the whole point of the story is that the plans need to get to the rebels so that they can mount a defensive and, and you have the, uh, oh look, there's a very small hole that if we throw a bomb down it, it'll uh, destroy the whole thing. Thank uh, you, Rogue One. <laughs> yeah, the whole system goes down, as KTSO keeps saying. Hmm. You need to have these um, plot contrivances to <laughs> to allow for amazing trench runs. Yeah, well, you know, they, Lucas was obviously referencing things like dam busters and so on. You know, with these kind of aerial dogfights in space. Yeah. yeah, and it's really great. You know, it's uh, it, it's really tense. It goes on for ages as well. And, it does. It never, <laughs> it never feels like it. It goes on too long because uh-huh. there's always stuff going on and things are always changing. So what you've got is. You've got the turrets, and then you've got the fighters, and then you've got the trench, the failed trench run, and and you've got people dying all over the place. I don't know. It feels like it does go on for quite a while. Yeah, it I think does, it's incredibly but, well done for 1977 technology. Yeah, and again, it's the the world building that helps it. You know, there's the the sound design's great. So when everybody's in the X-wing cockpits, you hear that kind of running noise. Um, just the kind of hum of the engine and so on it tells you, it makes you feel like they're really there, they're inside something that's actually running, you know, it's not silent it's um, it, all, it all adds to making it believable and it just, it looks great even to this day the mm. the model work is brilliant yeah shout out yeah, to Ben Burke for those sound effects yeah, love the TIE Fighter yeah, TIE Fighter sounds great and obviously Darth Vader gets involved yeah, uh, with a very strangely controlled TIE fighter that seems like it, the controls look like he's unscrewing a bottle cap over and over again. <laughs> Maybe he uh, just had a drink and he was like... Yeah, he's just really <laughs> trying to get it open. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing there, but he does it a lot. Why he's on the leader. The force? <laughs> well, that's a Why good question. Why does he even need to touch anything? Can he not just use the force? He's a control freak. <laughs> but it's all him controlling it if it's using the force. <laughs> Well, the, the force requires a certain level of concentration and it might distract him from all the things that are shooting at him. Mm. But he does have that level of awareness. He's clearly one of the better Thai pilots around there. And he's a... And he senses that, that Luke is powerful as well. Mm-hmm. Before he gets careened out into the vastness of space. <laughs> Just goes spinning off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and um, the, the Death Star destruction is... Well, obviously it needs to happen for the, the film to to resolve itself, but uh, there's, there's even controversy about that as well. Like I, I mentioned earlier that Luke essentially kills hundreds of thousands of people by destroying it because they're on board the thing. On the um, Death Star? Yeah. Yeah, but from our perspective, they're all bad guys, right? So. Yeah, but you know that a lot of them are sort of imperial middle management and things that have no real opinion of what's going on. And a Dianoga. Yeah, and a Dianoga, yeah. Well, they're it's weird that, as bad people. It's weird that Tarkin gets no death scene, though. He's just, like, on there. And yeah. <laughs> and that's it. He just, he just dies, you know, and you don't see it happen. So there's kind of that unsatisfying end to the villain. Well, maybe they thought that they'd, like, have him on an escape pod or something and decided not to go with it. Now there might be, like, a kind of zoom into his face as he realises what's going to happen and he kind of says oh and then everything blows up around him could be mm. yeah 
that's how I imagine it goes down now. <laughs> how come Darth Vader doesn't know that that's like his kids? Um, he just doesn't realise it. His mind's been twisted by the dark side. Well, yeah, in Revenge, Revenge of the Sith, he doesn't know he has kids. Yeah. Well, he yeah, thinks, he thinks that they've all died in that, but... Yeah, he, he thinks that Padme not, was killed. But how does he not feel the connection between them? Maybe he's just ignoring it. Yeah. It's later on he finds out that there's some kid running around called Luke Skywalker, and he's like, hmm. <laughs> That used to be my name. <laughs> Yeah, again, hiding identity is not so not so good in these films. <laughs> let's let's hide him with his aunt and uncle, but call him uh, keep his name. That's important. And then have the sister and nowhere near him. Yes, she was quite well hidden, although in, in a fairly insight. in a fairly like important family. Yeah, that's bullcrap. How dare they not take the the boy? He was destined to be a moisture farmer. <laughs> yeah. What if Leia was um, what was put on Tatooine instead? It'd be like Cinderella or something. Yeah, she'd have to be going after Prince Luke. <laughs> yeah, it would essentially be uh, Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, there's the the question over why the Death Star doesn't just blow up the planet in front front of the. <laughs> the moon that the rebels are on instead of going all the way around yeah we've got a big gun that's capable of blowing up planets but unfortunately <laughs> there's a planet in the way but we only have one shot left <laughs> <laughs> yeah this uh, this battle station is all about intimidation we actually only have two shots <laughs> and of course in the previous film uh, Tarkin quite liked blowing up little things you know single reactor ignition yeah. I'm not sure why, but you know, obviously you couldn't see him blow up a planet in a film that's set before this because the first use of it was on Alderaan. Yeah, it's a lot of sort of being confined by what went on here. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, yeah, I love the Death Star trench run. I just like the the whole dog fighting stuff and uh, Han coming in at the last minute just to, you know, just to uh, save the day. Sort of. He obviously dealt with whatever other defences there were that uh, might have stopped him in his tracks, but of course, <laughs> that doesn't matter because he's there to, as you say, save the day. I feel like there's a missing scene where Chewie just badgers them the whole way, you know, wherever they're going, and he's like, come on, Han, like, we like those guys, let's go, like, let's go back. And it's like, no, I'm not going back, I'm not going back. And it's like, fine, don't go back. And eventually they turn around. Uh, I feel like Chewie would do that. He, he's clearly a bit more... Um, Committed to the cause than Han is. A bit more compassionate. Yeah. Plus, we know that he's met Obi Wan in the past from previous films, <laughs> later films. Luckily, he had his mind wiped. <laughs> oh, Just, no, like, C-3PO. Yeah. <laughs> Just like everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and weirdly, the film ends with a big medal ceremony, which is kind of ridiculous because it's. You know, it's who's got time for a medal ceremony? It's like the Empire knows we're here. We should be leaving. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've got time for one quick medal ceremony. <laughs> Chewy, we only have, sorry, we only have, <laughs> don't have time to give you a medal. <laughs> we only have time to hand out two medals. Uh, yeah. The third one's going to take too long. 
Maybe Chewie turned down a medal. He's just like, I don't need no recognition. <laughs> I'm fine. Well, they can't pin it to him, can they? <laughs> well, it was over their neck. It was around the neck anyway. He doesn't want a medal for, for killing hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> he doesn't need a medal. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess um, I've talked about kind of key sequences in the film. Uh, what are your kind of favourite moments apart from the... We've talked about the twin son suite, I guess it's as it is. Uh, but what other moments kind of stand out as being memorable? Um, I don't know, I guess, yeah, we've talked about the twin sons, the trash compactor I really like, the trench run. I guess the the lightsaber duel between Vader and uh, Obi-Wan, even though I've said, you know, it's a bit kind of stilted and compared to the way people are able to flip around and jump massive distances and things later on. Although Obi-Wan does a twirl. He does do a twirl. <laughs> and Vader kind of stumbles towards him. Um, you know, it's still the first lightsaber duel you get, and, and for that, I think it's really cool. Yeah, and there's weight behind it, isn't it? I mean, you know enough about the, the relationship between these characters to find out that there's that they're fighting about something. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to, again, the prequels, where people were just pulling lightsabers out left, right and centre and just hitting each other with them until, well, until, until the, the scene stopped. But, yeah, so there's definite tension, and I suppose that yeah. that's where you get your again iconic kind of visuals and sounds—the sound of a lightsaber kind of being ignited and humming away as it, you know, before they strike each other. Um, because it's quite slow, and because it, because you know, there's relatively few blows. You know, I think it does make it feel kind of menacing, and uh, you know, makes it feel dangerous as well. That they've got these laser swords that they're potentially going to slash each other up with. Yeah, I've just had like some wild revolutionary thoughts. Go, Go on. on. So, I too was trying to think of like my favorite scene, and I was going to say something like any scene that's got Han Solo with a sassafras. But then I was thinking about how like, and then I was going to say something about all the costume changes. I really like those. And then I was thinking about how they, no one like, changes clothes at all in this film. though well, yeah, they do. They dress up as stormtroopers. Yeah, they're now in like yeah. their fighter pilot costumes with his little helmet on. They change costumes all the blooming time. It's Leia you should be concerned about because she goes into that trash compactor in those robes. Han and Luke ditch the stormtrooper outfits and put on their other gear, but Leia's just still hanging around in those anyway, dianogered up stinking, stinking robes. Yeah. So <laughs> this movie is basically The Wizard of Oz. Mm, I suppose so. It could be. No, it, it, like it is. So that whole scene where they like get the stormtroopers to like come on board the ship, steal their outfits, is totally from the oh we oh part of the Wizard of Oz, and then Dorothy, Princess Leia, locked up, the Wicked Witch, Darth Vader. <laughs> Don't say that to his face, though. Death Star. Doing. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. It's totally the Wizard of Oz. So is Chewie the Cowardly Lion. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> is he, he feels like the Tin Man. And R2 scares loads of crows. No, I was going to say, like, Han can be the Scarecrow because he doesn't have a heart or a brain. He does have a brain. He doesn't. He's not got a heart, the Tin Man. But you know that Dorothy always liked the Scarecrow the best, so, you know, kind of makes sense for him to be Han. Yeah. It's 
pretty much the Wizard of Oz. Okay. So your favourite scenes or scene? Yeah, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, one of my favourite scenes is I mean I love all this film, but uh, I really like the the fighter battle that happens just after they escape the Death Star for the you know for the first well the only time um, <laughs> where they're they're kind of manning those gun turrets that are just that look like you'd be sick just <laughs> moving around. But there's well, also the fact that you're in space, like moving around up yeah. all in any direction, anyway. Yeah, but um, they climb up you... and down and then face. How does out. anyone know what direction anything is? It's all relative. Metal. Yeah. But you've also got uh, Chewie sitting in the cockpit, not piloting the ship. He's just kind of sitting there. Well, it's because he's too cool for it. And, it on autopilot. And if he's a pacifist, then he don't want to get involved. <laughs> But yeah, I love that scene because it's just, it's so tense. You get a lot from the characters, you know. Luke has that, that really childish celebration when he takes out a TIE fighter and Han tells him not to get cocky because there's still loads of them left. I've killed and another that, one. That's, yeah. the, that's like the first time that he's in that position. I just he killed a guy! Yay! <laughs> yeah, but you know, he thinks that he's like protecting people and saving people and, and he's he's trying to get recognition from his peers, you know, that he looks yeah. up to these people so much. These fighters are automated, right? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, Life taken. Yeah, and, and the Falcon takes damage in that scene as well, you know, and and Han's all confident. He's like, uh, you know, the ship will hold together, and he's like, come on, hold together. He's, like, not sure himself, but he's, he's constantly just trying to project this image of himself in front of others. Uh, it's, it's a cool scene. In conclusion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've talked about sort of every other scene, which is a, you know, which, well, or every other major sequence, at least. There, there's a lot of good stuff here, you know, stuff that that's, that survives the ages, but everybody remembers it. And there's always, oh, this is the bit where this happens, and, and it's very quotable as well. There's a lot of great lines here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, uh, kind of touching it before, and it's like, what are your maybe favourite parody moments of the... Um, that you've come across from this Any film. bad lip time. reading. <laughs> yeah. All the bad lip readings. Yeah. I mean, oh, Family okay. Guy likes to, like, Family Guy likes to dine on this, you know, this this film in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, the well, the fact bit. that they've done a whole film, well, they've done the whole trilogy, haven't they? Yeah. So, you know, I suppose before they did that, they were they were making references here and there. And then now it's like the, the whole thing is just ripe for uh, for parody and robot chicken as well. Yeah, robot chicken is yeah essentially guys playing with Star Wars toys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is really funny. But the um, one Family Guy one that sticks out at me is the the bit where <laughs> Peter's conducting the Sand People Choir and uh, he kind of shouts at them and they all run off. And Obi Wan turns up and says, "Don't worry, they'll be back." And in greater numbers, <laughs> it's going to help with the, you know, the, um, it's going to help with the the harmony or something like that. <laughs> but I mean, there's a great line that parodies itself in this film, where Obi Wan says that only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise, when you never actually see them hit anything. Yeah. <laughs> and these blast points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Of course, you can't see a thing in that helmet. Yeah. <laughs> Not even doors. 
No, not even doors. Bump your head on the Millennium Falcon. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of parodies. Um, yeah, I want to see links at the end of this to every single Bad Lip Breeding song, <laughs> including the full-length version for the Seagulls one. You'll have to supply me with said links. What? Yeah, well, consi- consider it your homework. Have you not? But you've watched them, right? I've watched some of them. Uh, oh my god, Craig! How <laughs> could you not? How could you yeah. not have watched them? At least a hundred times. Because it's a big internet and there's only so much Star Wars parodies you can watch. No, but it's its own thing now. <laughs> yeah. There's a good, um, there's a good video on YouTube of Star Wars, but every time a laser is fired, <laughs> it speeds up. <laughs> so it starts off, you know, there's quite a few laser blasts at the beginning, so it's, it starts speeding up quite quickly, uh, but then it gets to the point where it just. Um, you know, reaches this really high-pitched drone and just speeds through the rest of it. So I'd recommend that. I saw um, there's a silent movie one which is really cool. It's kind of got the it's got the piano music. It's all black and white, and uh, it's really funny. Um, yes, yeah, uh, so many parodies. Obviously, the things like Spaced and Spaceballs they're uh, they're very Star Wars influenced. Mm-hmm. There's the film Fanboys, which is all right. Uh, it's basically about this yeah it's it's quite morbid in its subject matter but it's about this guy who's diagnosed with terminal cancer and he will die before Phantom Menace comes out so the, him and his friends engineer a, a plot to go raid George Lucas's ranch to get a preview copy of the film and spoiler alert Lucas eventually who doesn't appear in the film decides to um let the guy watch it, but his friend's not. They have to wait, because, you know, they'll survive. Which, apart from the raid, happened with The Force Awakened? Awakens? Yes, it? that's right, yeah. Um, mm. There's also Paul, which draws on this film quite heavily. Yep, yeah, shout out to Paul. Yeah. Hi, Paul! <laughs> um, oh. Oh, is this listener Paul? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, and film Paul and Paul Treadham, the um, imperial officer on the Death Star, yeah. noted. Shout, so uh, shout out to all Pauls. All Pauls. How <laughs> about John Pauls? JP two. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Space Pope. <laughs> so, any other significant parodies that people can think of? <laughs> mm. oh, there's so many. Yeah, yeah, there must be the kajillion. I remember seeing an episode of The Simpsons that um, you know had a a Star Wars reference in it and I think I was young enough at the time where I didn't realise that things like that could happen and I was like what this is <laughs> there's a crossover Simpsons has Star Wars and you know obviously now you're like well everything references everything but yeah. back then it was like a really big deal that <laughs> that Star Wars was being mentioned or that Mark Hamill was in an episode or something yeah well the most um, one of the best Simpsons references is for the next film and I'm sure I'll bring this up again this time next year um, it's when it's a flashback episode and Homer and Marge are out on a date watching The Empire Strikes Back and they walk out and there's a queue sort of round the corner <laughs> from the theatre and, and Homer says very loudly who'd have thought that Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker's father <laughs> spoiling it for everyone in the queue it's brilliant <laughs> I mean it's it's not that funny when you hate spoilers I suppose but that's the idea you know you know how infuriating that will be to the people out there yeah. it's just great yeah 
So uh, look forward to me making this exact same reference again this time next year when we do Got it. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Noted. Clock that. Yeah. Um, I guess finally we can come on to, well, maybe not quite finally, but we can come on to finally the controversial uh, aspect of the Star Wars franchise, the alterations that have been made over the years. Uh, I'm yeah. sure everyone who likes these films has an opinion on George Lucas constantly going back and re-editing and CGIing and recolouring and all this stuff that he likes to do that he's hopefully going to stop now that he doesn't own the franchise anymore. Uh, what did you know? What are the opinions on this? I mean, personally, I think that a filmmaker can go make as many alterations to a film as they want, as long as they keep the original available for consumption. You know, I mean, I like to have a choice. I like to. I don't have to watch the director's cut if I don't want to. You know, but George Lucas has stopped making these available, which I find annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, he's obviously the artist; he can do what he likes with it. Um, having said that, I'll only watch the <laughs> the original version because, <laughs> and that that's what I can't even um, remember all the changes that have been made over the years because there have been, you know, a fair number, but because we only ever watched the theatrical original it's not really something that we ever come in contact with <laughs> yeah yeah there's all sorts there's some subtle ones i mean the recoloring is is quite bad actually it just looks mm. it doesn't look right but there's lots of small ones um i think there's extra creatures in the cantina and yeah obi-wan makes a different noise when he scares off the sand people um the, <laughs> the prison the detention block corridors a lot longer for some reason, um, things like that. Uh, there's obviously the infamous hand shoots first or Greedo shoots first stuff, mm-hmm. where it's been changed a couple of times. Where if it, at first it was uh, Greedo shoots, um, f- then Han sort of force reacts his way out of the way, which looks really stupid. It's this little digital lean, um, and then eventually they change it to where they shoot almost at the same time, where again Han evades this point blank laser blast which is it just it looks even stupider um yeah i don't i don't like that it's the idea that uh, han solo is this kind of roguish character who will sense which way uh altercation's going and will shoot first before he doesn't but before he gets killed you know that's fine yeah. he's a survivor well there's things yeah. like that where you know you've mentioned a couple that don't really make a ton of difference because it's just you know him going back and kind of painting in some digital effects and stuff but then there's things like that that do and are obviously controversial because they change the story or the characters essentially there's the Jabba the Hutt scene that gives you the same information as the Greedo scene like that's why it was cut in the first place it's the same information you know and uh, there's that weird is that that the one where he steps on his tail yeah it's like as if he'd put up with that <laughs> What's that about? Yeah, I know. It's, and just how it looks as well. I mean, when you know, when you realize, or when you kind of see what the original shot, and then how they kind of digitally paint him, kind of stepping up <laughs> over the tail. It's, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, um, you know, you you find that scenes are cut because they just don't give you anything new, and the Jabba scene gives you nothing new because you get it all from Greedo. All he does is. All Jabba does is reiterate the fact that Han owes him money. And I think in the most recent version, Boba Fett's there for some reason. Because why not? Yeah. Um, So yeah, make as many changes as you want, but let me watch this version. And 
for those that are so inclined, there's a great project uh, that was a whole load of people got together and did. It was uh, it's called the Despecialized Editions, where they've lovingly recreated the original trilogy in its theatrical form by picking parts out of so many little different sources and piecing them together and painting out the some of the changes that that Lucas made. Like, um, it's really impressive work, and those are the versions that I watch, and they're in HD as well. So they're. Uh, are you not able? Are there are there not copies available without all of that? Anyway, there's a DVD set, but there are really bad scans of them. Okay. Yeah, there's a Weird. lot of them. Um, yeah, they they don't look very good because I think it's a I think it's just a scan of the laser disc version and it's not, and it's heavily compressed and stuff. But the the despecialized editions look beautiful, uh, mm. and the fact that people puts all this work in. It's just remarkable. And how much work was involved in getting rid of all of Lucas's changes. Mm. I find the the Moss Eisley stuff the most offensive because you just have stuff walking in front of the action that you're supposed to be paying attention to. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I don't know that. And it's so obvious as well. It's just this kind of weird, these digital effects that just look out of place. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of comparison videos on YouTube you could watch um, Mm. that just kind of list all the main ones but yeah they're you know and if those are the versions that you want to watch because maybe they look a bit sharper because they're in HD but then fine but let me have a choice you know let me select on my Blu-ray theatrical or altered that's all I want <laughs> you should put it in a strongly worded letter yes I will write to George Lucas and he'll ignore me I'll try yeah but the the changes are they're sort of ubiquitous now, aren't they? You know, they're they're almost what this franchise has become known for. Yeah. And to some people, you know, and uh, it's turned a lot of people off because uh, because they just don't like seeing things constantly changed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I just thought it was worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but I don't know, I feel like I can't really comment on it because I literally don't really know it that well at all. Well, I'll put the YouTube comparisons in the, the show notes and you can peruse at your leisure. You can go back and be horrified. Be like, oh my god, what have they done? Why is <laughs> why is there an extra rock in front of R2's face? More Jewbacks. <laughs> yeah. Well, why, why is this thing in front of them? You know, what, what's going on? Why is there extra X-Wings on the Death Star attack? Etc. But why is Han Solo stepping on Jabba the Hutt's tail? You can have all these reactions and more. Yeah. Great. Can I wait? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the enthusiasm. Well, yeah. So, is there anything else that needs to be mentioned? Uh, any major things that we've missed or comments that need to no. be made? or um, I've no. learned that I'm never going to go back and try to put myself in a, a child in 1977's shoes and imagine what it would have been like to encounter Star Wars for the first time. I'll never, I'll never engage my imagination. I'm just going to take things the way they are. And that's not what I said. <laughs> that's exactly what you said. It's not. What you could do though is you could get your old look, uh, George, not George Lucas. There's no action figure of George Lucas that I know of. Your That's old Luke Skywalker, <laughs> your old Luke Skywalker um, action figure out of storage, with his little blue plastic lightsaber, 
and you could, you know, reenact the plot of this film with your own sound effects. I could. Yeah. I'm not gonna though. <laughs> I actually like it's still on the TV right now and I'm literally going to switch it off as soon as this is finished I think I've got a Jar Jar somewhere (laughs) (laughs) you can have him repeatedly scalped with a lightsaber (laughs) yeah or you could give him a lightsaber and live out that bizarre Darth Jar Jar yeah Yeah. do all these things we could and more there's no limit to the imagination yeah and on that note yeah, so any last comments? Any last thoughts about stuff that, that you never got the chance to say? Speak now. I love it, and I'm just hoping that I don't get burnt out um, and fatigued with the year in, year out um, chapters that we're going to get from now until eternity. Well, yeah. you don't live for eternity, so it's fine. What? <laughs> you will never live to see the final Star Wars movie. I was reading that Darth Plagueis book to try and discover the secret of eternal life. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Yeah. Wrong. Soon find out. Wrong. I'll let you know. Absolutely. I'll let you know when I finish it. <laughs> That's good. Because yeah, I don't want to read it. <laughs> it's not that I don't want to read it. It's just that I don't want to read it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love this film too. I think it's. Uh, I think it's great. Uh, no matter how many Star Wars films there are, I will be able to ignore every single one of them except these three. You know, the, the original trilogy. I'll watch I'll watch that and nothing else eventually. You know, it'll get to that point where there's so much Star Wars, but I'll just strip it all away and come back to what where it started. And You don't think watch. Force Awakens, like, belongs as part of that now? Well, I, The Force Awakens is just this all over again. But Yeah, but uh, that's good. Well, um, I'm not as... I'm not as comfortable with the, the Force Awakens as other people are, but okay. that was a that, that was a, a previous podcast. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sure that that Star Wars is such a phenomenon that kids get into it at different ages, and it's good that it'll always endure, and they'll have, you know, what they can call their Star Wars. And um, obviously, we we were all growing up in the time where there was no more Star Wars being made, really, in in cinemas anyway. Mm-hmm. And so this is. This was our Star Wars, you know. This is our generation Star Wars because it just um, it came back out in the cinema when I was a kid, and you know it was. Um, and then I got excited about the prequels, and then then they came out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, it's always going to have a special place in my heart, and I will never not like it. And no matter how how much the franchise veers away from where it started, I will always come back to the original trilogy and, and enjoy it as its own. I think a lot of people are in the same boat as you for that, for going back to to where it began. I mean, yeah, you've got to persevere, but you eventually get to those Ewoks. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's to be talked about in two years. (laughs) (laughs) Or sooner if we completely run out of ideas. (laughs) Well, I really liked Gus's use of the word burnt out and fatigued, because... That's me. That's what you are right now. <laughs> and not you're, even a Power Ranger in sight. You're, you're R2-D2 face planting on the desert floor. I am. I am. Or falling yeah. into lava. Oh, falling into lava. 
He yeah. used to do that all the time whenever I had to make this stupid jump on the PS2. <laughs> Xbox? Was it Xbox? Which one was it? Both. Faith. Alright. I, I have face planted. Thank you for taking me on this journey, Craig. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me on revisiting the original Star Wars, and I wonder if we've said anything that anyone that nobody's ever said before. Did it? I suspect not. But we've talked about it in a slightly different order. And well, I do you think, think anyone important. else has ever compared it to Wizard of Oz? I definitely think so. Possibly. Uh, who knows? We Time could be using that trail. <laughs> I'm going to Google it. <laughs> Are you trying to like make it a different search? <laughs> Weirdo. Let's say. Uh, let's ask Jeeves. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> he still exists, right? It's a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> a long time. Uh, it's a present. <laughs> I sense something, a presence I've not felt since... 1998. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Oh, we yeah. could go on. She's re-energised. Yeah, I've recharged. Join the, join the next five hours of our Star Wars podcast where we just... Oh, God, does anyone actually join us for the entirety of these things? The podcast extras is us just joking away at the end. I wish that happened. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Um, we shall... Put an end to the saga. <laughs> uh, we'll hand out hand out the medals. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I will, mean, yeah. I will not be taking one because I'm a badass. Oh. <laughs> and I'll take one. Are take- <laughs> I'll take one, and I want to wear that gold jacket as well. <laughs> that gold jacket, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll I'll have my cleaner version of RTD two. A what? Oh yeah. Because the lava. It, it gets a wash. At the end of the the film, that is cute. Yeah. So yeah, <gasps> medals for everyone. And they're made of chocolate, which is great. So <laughs> yeah, well, nothing but surprises on this podcast. But chocolate melts in Tatooine. Uh, not if you eat it quickly enough. Okay. Yeah, it's but it's like blue chocolate because it's made from blue milk. <laughs> <laughs> That is, uh, it would still be called milk chocolate, though, right? Yeah, blue milk chocolate. I can't think. The blue milk is reminding me of an episode of Belinda Blinked. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Craig, you should Google it. I'm going to have to now because it's been mentioned. It has to go in the show notes. Yep. Yes, <laughs> the show notes. <laughs> Cannot wait. We cannot wait for you to add that one to the show notes. <laughs> cannot <laughs> Me wait. neither. But you're going to have to. Okay, let me know when you've um, Googled it and you know what we're talking about. I will. I won't Google it until editing time, but yes. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> medals for everyone. Woo! Oh, God. All right. Yeah. Um, Recharge me now. <laughs> so thank you to my Rebel Alliance for joining me on this chat about Star Wars may Wait. the force be with you may the force be with us all and also with you thank you <laughs> hey, good night good night everybody it's been a blast it's been a blaster that was our discussion of Star Wars or A New Hope as you may know it we hope you have or had depending on when you're listening to this a great Star Wars day if you like what you heard here then please subscribe on iTunes YouTube or any major podcasting app and we hope you'll join us on the next Meal Before Pod. Mm-hmm.